I'm Kat Harris. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm an educator, brand strategist, and content creator. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful dialogue. It's a place where none is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where the journey is the destination. So I invite you to leave your Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is messy and beautifully imperfect. We all have a story to tell, and I want to hear yours. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris, and I cannot believe it, guys. We are in season two of this podcast. I just, I still can't believe that I have people out there that want to listen to this on a weekly basis. It is such an honor. And honestly, I have these moments where I feel selfish because I'm like, ooh, how can I have a conversation with someone that inspires me. Oh, I know. I'll ask them to be on my podcast, Um, which is the case of this week. Um, We have an amazing woman with us and I'm so excited to chat with her. Her name is Liz Bohannon. She is co-founder and CEO of Seiko Designs. It is an ethical fashion brand that sells premium leather goods, footwear, handbags. And the cool thing is that They are working with high potential, highly academic women from East Africa that are leaders in their communities and their jobs with Seiko Designs help them in their gap year between high school and college to earn money that goes directly to their college tuition. So I am so on board with Seiko Designs. I've known of them for several years and just think Liz is such a baller. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today. She lives in Portland, Oregon with her family, where their headquarters are also located. And oh, I said that weird, are also located. <laughs> um, so here we are. Here we go. Liz, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I know. I'm I feel trying like to be really quiet, <laughs> but I was, you were making me giggle. Um, I am so happy to be here. And I actually feel likewise being on the other side of the podcast journey at this point of, I get so excited to have an excuse to spend time with amazing women who are creating awesome content and conversations. And, um, I have known of you for a long time. And when we connected in New York, I think that was last year for the first time, I think in real life, I was like, yeah, she's awesome. So I'm excited to reconnect. Yay. Me too. And I just remember like, I had a girl crush on you and we were both speaking at, it was the Wild Hearts conference. And I was like, oh my gosh, Liz is going to be there. I cannot wait to meet her. And then (laughs) by the last day, remember you were wearing that awesome dress that's now in your collection. I was like, can I try that on right now? (laughs) (laughs) I do remember that. We were like back in the green room and you just... Give me you your dress. I'm trying it on right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. There's nothing I like more than taking my clothes off so that other women can try them on. You know myself. what? If, if that is what you have to do, that's what you have to do. And I was do. like, okay, I think our friendship can survive pretty much a stranger asking you to give the clothes off Kiss your back. <laughs> I, was like, I, I love it. And you, you did. I do very distinctly remember what a what a goddess you look like as well in it. So that dress is amazing. Are you guys still selling it? 
That specific one, probably not, but that style, that silhouette, I think you tried on the caftan. We are definitely still selling. And I am on a not so subversive mission to bring the caftan back. And I am proud to say that I am winning people to my side, that caftans are the new athleisure as I sit in one right now. I think you can replace yoga leggings with it. And I also think that you, I just got done speaking at like a black tie gala in Dallas and I was on the main stage and I wore a caftan. It's all about accessorizing. It can go so glam or just like so chic and cash. And there are very few elements of clothing that have that level of versatility. I really didn't think that I was going to give a full on, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't think I was going to caftan evangelize at least not right. so early on in the podcast, but it's a real passion of mine. You know what? It's one of those things. Like when I saw it, I was like, I don't know if that's going to be flattering on me. Like you and I have yep. the most body types. Like I am five ten. I've been an athlete my whole life. Like I am just large and in charge. And I was like, I just don't know if this is going to be like flattering on me. And then I put it on and I was like, I feel like Liza Minnelli. I want to go on stage. I feel so fabulous (laughs) with all the sleeves. I need to perform right now. (laughs) I love it. That's what I love about the captain. It does something kind of magical because 80% of people look at it and say like, I can't do that. I can't pull that off. But then when they put it on... And they realize like, not only one, what does that even mean? I can't pull it off. But two, like so many different body types. And by the way, that caftan is one size. So the caftan that you're wearing as like Mm. this tall, lean athlete is the same that I wear. And I'm like five foot three. And I am particularly round at eight months pregnant during this season of life. And I love it. So anyway, I think that it's that there is something kind of glam and bold about it that I think makes women rise to that. Like if you, if you're the type of woman that says like, I can wear this and I can rock it, then I actually believe that like your kind of presence changes because you're like, oh, I'm someone who can pull this off and like take risks. And so it's kind of one of the reasons that I love it is how many women are like, oh my gosh, I could never pull that off. And then when they do feel fabulous. Yes. Okay, so now I have a new idea for Seiko Designs. I'm just giving my unsolicited advice. No, please. I love it. (laughs) This is what we should do. We should get 10 different women, different body types, different ages, different everything, wearing the same dress. And we need to all get their picture taken and show the world the beauty of the caftan from Seiko Designs. I love it. I'm I'm so so in. I'm so in. Let's do it. Okay, okay, let's collaborate. We'll follow up after okay, this podcast. Okay, um, the call is done. Great episode. Great. Good chat. <laughs> um, okay, so before we get started, I have to ask you about something because I heard you're passionate about the Enneagram. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say caftans, but we're, yes, that too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm, I've learned a lot over the last, um, actually was introduced to the Enneagram when I was living in Uganda many, many, many years ago mm-hmm. before... I had a friend who had grown up in East Africa. He's an American. But um, at the time, I was like, this is real trippy and something only this type of person would be interested in. You know, the kid that's like grew up in the Maasai Mara American kid, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so so my, my expat kind of friend group in Uganda was like into the Enneagram. And so um, for the last, I guess, gosh, that was maybe like eight years ago, it has been a tool 
that has been uh, really useful to me and in my marriage. And now I live in Portland and our whole community is um, pretty involved and kind of invested. And so it's been a really cool tool, even just like with our friendships and community for helping us learn how to do life together and to support each other. And yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. I think the cool thing about Enneagram, Strength Finders, Myers-Briggs, I, I know Enneagram is having a major moment right now and people are like drinking the Kool-Aid and they're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, Enneagram is the way, the truth and the life. But what it has done for me is offer a framework and a language and vocabulary of communicating with others and being able to understand, oh, this is where this person is coming from. This is their framework. This is perhaps their natural wiring. I don't think like when people are like, I'm like that because I'm a four. It's just my four in me. I think that can be like an excuse and a crutch to avoid Mm. introspection and transformation. Mm. But when it's like, this is my natural tendencies, how can I grow? Or how can I use this as a framework to connect with others? That's when it's been helpful for me. Yeah, I totally agree. For me, it's just like anything, honestly, that can get me out of the posture of, I just have such a tendency. I see the world in such a uh, distinct way that sometimes it's hard for me to remember that not everybody exists in my reality. And I'm just like, I can, if, unless I do the work, I can be very just like confounded by like, wait, how are we not seeing this the same? How are you not reacting in the same way that I'm reacting? So I feel like anything that can like get me to remember how uniquely we're each created and how we see the world and we process it and the value that we bring and the things that give us energy in life and the things that really take that from us are so different. And I was actually just joking about this with my team yesterday. I have this weird mental thing. This happens to me maybe once a day, definitely a few times a week now, where I will be like driving down the road and I will see something. Literally, we're talking about like an overhead pass, you know, or like a bridge. And I will think to myself, oh my gosh, that is amazing. And if the world was filled with me and only me and only my personality type and only my skills, that would fundamentally, absolutely in a million years, never exist. Like I could not have figured that out. I could not have organized that. Like my brain does not work in a way that could figure out how to make a mile long metal object span over a body of water in a way that was safe for people to drive. And it kind of puts me in this like mindset where I feel like very delighted by difference and like so happy that it's like, I am so glad that the world is not filled with a lot of people who are exactly like me, (laughs) you know, and just like how much of a ish show it would be if that were the case. And it like increases my, instead of like being frustrated by like differences in people, I feel like I've kind of become overly delighted by the fact that people are so different from each other and how beautifully that kind of helps balance the world out and that things are brought to life on a daily basis that I never would have the capacity or the vision to do. And that is only because there are people in the world that see the world so differently than I do. Anyway, that was kind of a rabbit trail, but no, it's so it it's so true. There's beauty. There is so much compassion, empathy, 
wonder, imagination, creativity that we can find in our differences. And I think it's so easy just to see, oh, you're different and we're not going to understand each other because there there's, are those common threads that unite all of us. Like, I really believe that all of humanity wants to be seen, accepted, known, loved, like those things within us all are a common thread. I, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Like how boring would life be if everyone in the whole world worked in finance? Like what, like we couldn't get anything done. Or if everyone was a creative, we would just be missing. We'd be missing a disaster. Yeah. So what is your Enneagram number? So I am an eight with a very Mm -hmm. strong seven wing. So tell people what that means. And then I'll tell you what I am. And then we can, I feel like that'll give us context for our call, you know? Great. Great. So the eight is the challenger. Their primary need, which does not sound very compelling or like I'm a fun person to be around, is to be against. So the challenger really kind of sees the world through, primarily through a justice lens really sees the world kind of through this matrix of who has power, who doesn't have power, how is that power being used? So power and justice are a really important framework for eights. And eights kind of see the world, they they would walk into a room and kind of sense the energy in the room and then play kind of the opposite of what that energy is. So unlike some numbers on the Enneagram, for instance, like a three, my husband is a three who is the achiever would walk into a room and say like, okay, what does this room want me to be? I can kind of bring that energy to this, to this room and be that person. And eight would walk into a room and kind of say, okay, where is, where's the deficit in this room, in this environment? What is this, you know, according to the eight's perspective, what does this room need? And then I'm going to, I'm going to be that because no one else is being that. And I'm going to kind of challenge the majority way of being and seeing. Um, So very justice oriented, not conflict averse. I have read that being an eight as a female is one of the more culturally unacceptable combinations. So how Mm. our world sees eight men is pretty highly valued because they're they kind of take charge and they don't wait for people to affirm them and they kind of can go against the grain and be pretty independent. And our culture really values that when it's embodied kind of in a masculine form. But female eights, they really struggle actually even to identify as eights because it's um, culturally not seen as very valuable. That's not a lot of what we want out of our women. So that's been kind of an interesting part of the journey. Um, and then the seven is the enthusiast. So the, the seven is like life of the party, adrenaline seeker, constantly going after new experiences. Um, I really identify with the energy of a seven and like, I love new things. I hate routine. I love being out of my comfort zone. I, I like new and I love experiences. However, the core need of a seven is to avoid pain. So a lot of their life is kind of oriented around avoiding pain. Um, And I don't actually identify strongly with that. I think I, as an eight, I see a lot of value in, I think (laughs) I see the world as like actually really good things happen when we allow ourselves to go to places that are difficult, to have hard conversations, to be in conflict, as long as that's done in a healthy way and we're working towards reconciliation So that was kind of how I knew that even though I act like a seven sometimes, and a lot of people think I'm a seven, that at the very core of my being, I I don't actually orient my life around trying to avoid pain in the way that um, a lot of sevens do. 
Yeah, that's, it's so fascinating. And even just to hear that from you, it makes so much sense. What I've learned about eights is eights are always in support of the underdog. Like they want the underdog to win. They're usually the social justice advocates. Eights are the ultimate, like don't settle for status quo or mediocre and like pushback can feel like intimacy because it's like, you don't just want someone to pacify you. You're like, no, like, let's be the devil's advocate. Let's talk about this. Like, where is that deficit in this room? And what about the social injustice over there? And how can we be a voice for the voiceless? And just even like knowing those are the characteristics of an eight and that's who you are. It makes so much sense why you do what you do. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely extends. It's cool when you can see like, oh, my whole line of work and my like passion and and vision kind of for this company and for this mission, I do believe largely, yeah, kind of extends out of that lens for justice um, Mm. and for thinking about how those who have power can wield that power for incredible good or not good and kind of attempting to balance that out and to be a champion of the underdog. There's nothing that I love more. I mean, an underdog story just gets me up in the morning and keeps me going throughout the day of just like, how do we, I just believe so deeply that there are so that every single person was created with dignity and in the divine image of God. And that there is so much purpose in their life. And the idea of helping enable a voice or a person to see that into the, in themselves and then become kind of this active co-creator, especially when they've been told their whole lives, like, that's not who you are. You don't have the power. You don't have autonomy, um, is incredibly exciting and life-giving to me. Um, so yeah. Beautiful. And you're like, you are living that, like you are embodying that and it's inspiring to see. Well, that's, I appreciate that. I'm also embodying a lot of the underbelly of my number at the same time. So we all have our dark side. So what are you? So I, I'm a number three and it was a struggle fest when I finally figured out that I was a number <laughs> three. I really judged myself. Mm. And so three is a performer. Mm-hmm. And I think you called it an achiever. Yeah, Um, I actually did this whole like nine hour in-person workshop on Enneagram a couple years ago. And I left and I was like, I don't know what I am. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I thought I was a one, which is a perfectionist. I really, really resonated with a lot of that. But I, I was like, maybe I'm a one, maybe I'm a four, maybe because I can't figure out, maybe that means I'm a four because fours are like really in their heads. And what am I? And then I took the test online. And every time I've taken the Enneagram quiz, it's been like 99.9%. Yeah. Yeah. So you're... So, So I was like, okay, I guess I'm like big time a three, which makes sense because... I think I judged myself because I've had three really unhealthy threes in my life. And Mm -hmm. as far as I felt like, oh, threes are like politicians and chameleons and they are just performing the whole time and all of it's a charade and it's all masks. Whereas I think a lot of times like we despise in others what we despise in ourselves. Yes. Yeah. So I finally was able to see, oh, I am judging that other person because I judge myself most. And I think 
going through the Enneagram workshop that I went through, it was basically nine hours of describing all the pain points of all of them. So for threes, like being a performer or like one of the examples he said was, if you're a three and you get in a car accident and are in ICU and you wake up and everyone from your whole life is in that room, you're terrified because you don't know which person to be. Like, do I be Mm. this person for this group of friends or do I be this person for this group of Mm. friends? Because the three can walk into the room, like you said, and see, oh, here's who this room needs me to be. And then the three is going to be the poster child for that. Mm. Yep. Yep. I have definitely done that most of my life out of a place of wanting love and affirmation and just wanting, I want you to accept me. So, okay, if this what if this is what it means to be a good church girl, a good Christian girl in youth group, I'm going to be the best. If it was in sports, I was going to be the best. If it was me starting The Refined Woman or even a podcast, like how can I be the best? And so I think there's like been real beauty in it, but I think I'm still at the beginning of processing the whole Enneagram thing and what it means because it can still kind of feel like a painful thing. Like, oh, like, am I just performing right now again? Or is this real? don't know if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, which I think is one of the beautiful things about it is it kind of layers on a new sense of awareness. And I think of being awake Mm -hmm. to ourselves. And what I love is that it's like every person's greatest weakness is also if it's healthy and it's aware and it's intentional can be their greatest strength and can kind of be their greatest Mm -hmm. asset in a way that they really bless people around them. But it does, it kind of requires that sense of awakeness. And, and I do think that if you have identified your Enneagram number and you don't feel a little bit terrible about it, it's probably not your number, (laughs) you know, because it's like the parts of your number that are most negative and shameful touch a, a deep level of shame in you because it's true. And because you know, like I have affected people like that. That's not necessarily who I want to be. Whereas it's like, you know, the shame that, or, you know, the negative sides of a number that I don't identify with, they don't elicit that deep of an emotion in me. So I think that it's a pretty good sign actually, if you're like, dang it. Um, Oh man. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. Don't you guys sort of wish you could just be best friends with Liz? I just adore her and have just been loving talking to her today. Now I want you guys to know that this episode is brought to you by one of my very own freebies that I created for single women called while you wait. It's a resource guide that I created based on my own journey of navigating the dating scene here in New York City as a Christian woman waiting until marriage to have sex. I needed books, resources, podcasts to really help and encourage and empower me on that process and journey. So I sort of compiled a list of some of my top books for you and created a resource guide. So you can grab that for free at therefinedwoman.com slash freebie. That's therefinedwoman.com slash freebie. F-R-E-E-B-I-E. You can snag it, download it. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear it. And I hope that it really encourages and blesses you because one thing I do know for sure is that you are not alone on this journey. 
Um, well, man, okay, we're like halfway through this episode. We haven't even gotten to like who you are and what you're doing. So we've talked about caftans and enneagrams. So yeah. you're welcome, everyone. Two things I love. So it's fun. So Liz, I want to hear from you in a world where social good projects are pretty trendy right now. Mm-hmm. And oh, like support this cause, support this cause. What makes you guys different? Are you guys different? And how do you create like a long-term game plan for sustainable transformation in this kind of like sexy culture of do good? Yeah. Um, I think that there are a couple different things. One thing that I think is really different and that I feel really, really proud of is that I think over the last several years of running this company, we have tried really intentionally to create a culture of mutual benefit and dignity for all constituents that are involved. Meaning I am so much more excited about inviting a customer in to this really amazing and inspiring and adventurous story of, you know, these incredibly high potential, gifted, driven young women in East Africa and I'm completely uninterested in guilting anybody into anything. I just never want someone to buy a product from us because they feel bad, because they feel like they should, because they feel pity on, you know, some women, woman in East Africa. Like the reality is these women are game changers for their communities, for their country, ultimately for our world. And this is a, a it's an invite only party, if you will, that it's like, we're doing this, we're creating waves of change and hope and freedom and opportunity for women across the globe. Um, And that's good for all of us. And if you want to be a part of this story that is so much bigger and more whimsical and exciting and adventurous than any of us could craft on our own, come be a part of what we're doing. Um, But don't do it because don't do it out of a sense of pity or charity. Do it out of a sense of camaraderie and of um, excitement about the future that we're building together. Simultaneously, it's like I love knowing that our customers will feel great about the impact that they're making. I also want our customers to walk down the street in a beautiful handcrafted oil tanned leather bag that turns heads and make people go, dang, girl, where'd you get that bag? Or what? What? You look like a queen in that caftan. Where did that come from? I think that those things can and should go together. And as evidence kind of full circle and <laughs> going back to going back to the beginning of our conversation. And in a lot of ways, I'm just as passionate about the product that we're creating as I am the mission and impact. And so I think that that's, I think that's important. I think on the other side of the spectrum, of course, you have a lot of companies who have kind of wisened up to the fact that it's like, oh, if I have a social mission or a social cause, I can kind of slap it on at the end and that's going to help me sell more product. I think where Seiko is pretty different in that is that anyone who knows our brand kind of knows the level of authenticity and just that kind of the heart and the start of our company from the very beginning has been to create these pathways and these this wake of kind of freedom and opportunity for women across the globe. Um, and that that's really different than, yeah, and then at the end of the day, we donate 10% of our profits, you know, to this charity. And so that's what we're inviting customers into, kind of the whole thing. Um, and, and, and that's how I think we're different. Yeah. I mean, I, I see that in what you guys do. And I, I see that as like a differentiating factor with you guys, because so much of what I have seen and experienced as a consumer is, is that almost like guilt complex or even just 
I'm purchasing this thing to make myself feel better as a consumer because there is impact, but I would never wear it or the, right. it was made <laughs> poorly or the amount of money it costs to ship it overseas is worth more than the product itself. But to have this like blending of the two, like blending of the heart and the why and real transformation, you're not just giving a handout, you're creating a good job with women who are already portraying themselves as leaders in their community, but you're also having a compelling product. And I think that like the shift in that mindset, I think you guys are really leading out in that in this industry. It's using our purchasing power for good. If I need a backpack anyways, and I was going to spend $150 on that backpack, like what if I could buy the backpack that I would have bought anyways, but it also has a social impact. And it seems like that's what you guys are doing really well. <laughs> How did you develop that vision? Like that, it seems like pretty countercultural. Like where did that come from for you? I think largely for us, it was born out of, you know, I moved to East Africa to be a journalist. So I kind of showed up with this posture of just like, ask the interesting question, follow the interesting lead. Mm -hmm. And I really think that that mentality of just like constantly asking the question of like, is this the most effective, powerful, interesting problem that we could be solving in staying open to that has, has really evolved our mission and who we are. You know, when I started Seiko eight years ago, I literally could have cared less what we were selling. Mm. I could have, I could have cared less of like what the mechanism or what the means to that were. However, over the last eight years, that's really evolved for me. Like I've become incredibly passionate about using for-profit business. I've become incredibly passionate about using product and fashion and beautifully made things and, and ethical fashion. But all of that was just born. It, it all evolved from asking those questions of like, what's the best most interesting way that we could be doing that. And even most recently, I mean, I would say over the last two years, our business has really completely evolved again. Um, and that kind of question asking, you know, I've always been passionate and sold out about the production side of our business, the retail side of our business, how we sell the products used to kind of just be like the ends to a means, right? Where it was like, uh, so we'll sell to stores and then sell stores, we'll sell to customers, we'll sell online. And a few years ago, we started applying that same kind of question asking, asking that we had been doing for years in East Africa and applying that to our retail model and saying like, are we selling the product in a way that's most aligned with our mission to create community and opportunity? And kind of long story short, we ended up overhauling our entire business. We pulled our product off of the shelves of you know over 500 stores across the country because we were like, you know what? we've built this really powerful brand that has sells really beautiful products. And there is a groundswell of women here in the US who want to go even beyond just being, you know, customers of an ethical fashion brand, but they really want their lives and their work to contribute to, to building a brighter future for women and girls across the globe. What if Seiko, what if our brand and our impact and our product basically was a mechanism for democratizing impact entrepreneurship, for saying to the woman who says, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want my life to have a purpose and to, to make an impact and to you know be a part of bringing justice and light to corners of the world that desperately need it. However, like I don't have a business degree. I don't have a product to sell. I can't go out and start, you know, a vertically integrated manufacturing company and really partnering with those women to say, okay, 
we've done all that. Now you go out and you and your community share your story and build community and have meaningful interactions with other women and then provide really great, valuable services. Help your customers understand how they can build a wardrobe that is, uh, that is consistent and true to their style, but that is also consistent and true to their beliefs about how the world should work and to create these really interesting experiences. Um, and so that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing now. We're, we are as equally passionate about creating community and opportunity using manufacturing in East Africa as we are creating community and opportunity for women here in the U.S. using the retail side of our company. And we now have hundreds of women all over the country who have joined us um, who are it's just been so fun. They're just so, they're amazing. They're passionate, belief-driven, sassy, fun, hilarious women that are uh, along for the journey, but are actually really building the future with us. Um, And that's just another example of like, that was simply born out of asking the question of like, are we doing this in the way that we think we should be doing this? Because this is how everybody else builds brands. Are we doing this in a way that's the most consistent and true to the core of kind of our mission and our why as possible. Wow. I mean, I I applaud you for digging deep and asking those questions. I think even back to what we were talking about with the Enneagram to pause and take a time out in our life and be curious, like what's working here? How did I get here? Why am I here? What's my vision for the future? Is what I'm doing working? I think at least for me, it's so easy just to keep like going down the path that I'm already on or like stay on the hamster wheel that I've already started because I then don't know how to get off. But to do what you did and be curious about your business model. And then it's, I mean, you made a massive pivot. Like product out of 500 (laughs) stores. Actually, I think at the conference I met you at, you had just finished your first conference for your fellows. Yes. your U.S. fellows. Um, We're basically a startup again, right? Where it's like, we've kind of started from scratch, but it's like my vision and excitement and belief about where we are going today compared to where it was three years ago Mm -hmm. is infinitely more exciting. And it's only because Mm -hmm. we allowed ourselves to kind of actually take a step back, right? I mean, and maybe this is TMI in the business world, but it's like 75% of our revenue was coming from those stores. Wow. So we had to be willing to say, we're going to shrink by 75% virtually overnight by, by, by kind of going back on this thing that we have spent the last five years building. But it's like within a year of running uh, the Seiko Fellows program, we did more in revenue than we had ever done through wholesale. And and I truly believe it was only because we were asking that question. We had product channel market mission, why fit in a new way. And had we kind of just been adamant about like, let's just keep, well, we, we spent five years building it this way. So we have to keep going. We never would have discovered that. And now there is an incredible community of women. You know, we just took, we take um, our sellers over to East Africa every year so they can meet the team and, you know, have this like incredible experience with other women from the U.S. and meet their colleagues in East Africa. But this year I wasn't able to go because I'm pregnant. And it was actually so meaningful for me to not be there because it, to me, it's just such an example. Like this isn't about me anymore. Like this is about like, it's about Sarah and it's about Genevieve and it's about Alyssa and it's about Monique and it's about Laura. And it's about these women who are 
I'm a part of building the bridge between these two worlds and these two groups of women. Um, but like what's, what's most compelling to me is like how this story is going to play out in Alyssa's life, you know, in the, and the team of 60 women that she is building and the fact that she was able to quit her full-time job that was sucking the life out of her and that she is now a legit bonafide social entrepreneur who, who, by the way, is directly responsible. I think her team this year has already created multiple full-time jobs, funded multiple wow. scholarships for women in East Africa. Um, and that's her, you know, that's her and that's her team and that's her journey. And that to me is so, that is so exciting. And that's like, if Seiko's only going to be as big as me and my story, like at some point that doesn't become, that, that loses interest for me at the point that I can say, okay, how is my story just the spark for Mm -hmm. Alyssa and for Sierra and for these other women to discover more of who they were created to be and what their purpose is and enable them to make an impact that they will look at and that they will wake up in the morning and go like, yes, I'm doing something I I believe in and it brings me life and energy. It's so fun. (laughs) I love it. It even goes back to like the beginning of what you were saying about creating a business model where it's a win-win on every side. So you're creating impact in East Africa for women who get to go to college and who get to earn money at a fair wage, but you're also creating opportunity for women in America to run their own businesses, to not only use their purchasing power for good, but you're inviting them to be a part of the story. Like if you want to be a part of it, the world is your oyster. Come join us. You yeah. sell the You bring <laughs> your community. Like that's thinking so outside the box as far as... <laughs> buy 10 beads and it'll give 10 gallons of clean water. Not to say that that's not important, but when I was in the nonprofit world years ago, the statistic, I don't know if this is still accurate, but it was that the average nonprofit lifespan is five years. Wow. And that was because you get super passionate, underqualified people yeah. running organizations, wanting to go to a country and make all these promises and then only having to leave because they're burnt out, underfunded and underqualified. So I just acknowledge you for in the five years into your business, pausing, zooming out. I mean, you like go of 75% of your income, like your business could have folded if this didn't work out. 100%. 100%. that's a massive risk. But to see you on the other side of that now offers like so much encouragement to me, just seeing your story and seeing the impact you're having on both sides. And the both sides, man. I mean, one of the highlights of my career was probably our first trip to Uganda last year. We took 10 fellows over and man, there was something so powerful about, you know, to be expected, I think in, in the world that I'm in, our Ugandan team stood up and they shared just about the impact that Seiko has made in their life. Here's what I've been able to do for my family. Here's the education that I've been able to get. Here's how my life has been transformed because I'm employed by this company. Then our fellows stood up and shared their story with Seiko. And to hear a like white Western woman stand up in front of a group of Ugandan women and say, because you show up to work every day and because you make this beautiful product and because you're committed to quality, I was able to quit this job that was sucking the life out of me. My 14 year old daughter who is in a crappy public school, you know, in a, in a rural school district, but dreams about being an astronaut, I was able to afford to send my daughter to NASA space camp this summer because of the work you women are doing here in East Africa. You know, that to me is like, 
I, and I could cry just thinking about it today that it's like, to me, like that's how global community should be working. Like this whole idea that it's like, I'm the giver and you're the receiver and you show up and you just have to be really thankful for me because I'm, you know, giving out of my excess as opposed to bringing two groups of women together who are saying like, this is the freedom you've created in my life. This is the transformation. And for some of the women, especially fellows, it's like, some of it's financial, some of it's purpose and impact and kind of career. Some of it's honestly community of like, I finally found like, I I found this group of sisters who get me, who care about the same things that I do, who are going to show up for me, who are going to cheer for me when I succeed and who are going to be there with a generous pour of red wine when I don't. Um, and, and it's like the fact that there's a group of 60 women in Uganda and East Africa who have enabled a woman in Illinois or in Southern California or in Texas to find true community and sisterhood. That to me is like, that's the mutual benefit and kind of the dignity component that I think is often missing. And we are unapologetic about it. And our fellows know this. If you've been around Seiko for more than two seconds, it's like, you're not going on Uganda to save anybody. You're not going on a mission trip. You're not going to help anybody. You're going to meet the colleagues that are alongside of you and that are co-creating a brighter future with you. And you're going to see their work and to thank them for the work that they're doing. And they're going to thank you. You know, it's like one of my favorite moments uh, was we were explaining the fellows program to our team in East Africa and kind of how it all works and, you know, how they help fund the scholarships that the women earn. And one of our women raised her hand, one of our Ugandan team members. And she was like, okay, but can you just clarify? Like, I just want to make sure like, what does the fellow get out of it? Like she was really concerned, like, is the fellow making money off of these sandals in a way that she was like, Mm -hmm. if she's going to be out there like hustling and selling and styling her friends and, you know, putting all this work into helping us, like, I sure hope she's earning something out of it. And delightfully, we got to say like, yes, Sylvia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The more she sells, the more money she makes for herself and her family and the more things that she gets to do. And then our Uganda team was like erupted in cheers. And there was kind of this sense of like, good, we want, we just want to make sure that everybody's winning and benefiting from this equation. And that spirit of like sisterhood and the rising tide and kind of collective ambition to me is so much more exciting and life-giving than like, Hey, I'm going to show up and be the good charitable philanthropist. And you're going to be the, you know, the needy beneficiary, because I I truly believe that that's life sucking. That is dignity sucking. No one on earth was meant to always be a receiver. No one on earth was created to always be a giver. I a hundred percent believe that we were, we were created to, to live in a community where we give and we take and we receive and we bless. Um, and that the more that can be happening kind of in this continual, motion and movement, um, the better off we'll all be. And the more fully we will become who we were created to be. Wow. That's powerful. Is that's, that's powerful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I'm like, I have nothing to say. Great. Awesome. You for asking the question that I clearly could run my mouth about for a while. So just in closing, I, I know so many women out there, myself included at times where It feels like if I can't quit my full-time job and like move to Uganda, or if I can't volunteer every day, then I can't do anything. How can a woman today listen to this podcast and leave knowing like, okay, I can at least do this. Maybe they want to be a fellow with Seiko. Maybe they can't. 
what's something that you would want to encourage them with or give them any sort of like advice on? Honestly, I think I believe so deeply in curiosity and openness and kind of having a posture of if you wake up every day and simply ask, like, how can how can my decisions today be a little bit more aligned with what I want for the world than they were yesterday, that you're going to build something really beautiful. If you can get to a place where you stop, I meet so many people. And even in that, even in ask, even in saying that, but I couldn't do that. It is remarkable to me how many people say, well, I could never do that. And then you go, okay, why not? And then you ask another why, but why is that? But who says that you can't, but what's actually holding you back? And you realize that so many people are so burdened and tied down by this like ambiguous they that somehow just kind of says you can't, that's not for you. And there's so much, I think, life and creation and innovation that gets really stamped out that if we can cultivate enough courage and curiosity to be people who says like, but who says I can't? Who says I can't get a little bit better in this area? Who says I can't? And I think sometimes it's about just taking a lot of really small, non-glamorous steps in the right direction. And then I think that there are other moments and times in life that call for real risk and for real courage and for really looking and evaluating and saying, but why can't I? And, and I think people don't assume as much autonomy as I think we have as humans, that it's just like, no, we get to decide and don't give that power to somebody else, especially if it's someone or something that you can't even fully articulate what's keeping you back or who says that you can or who's going to think that you're crazy. And I think if enough people start doing that, it creates kind of this, uh, it creates kind of a tipping point, right? Where it's like, well, if I see someone else do something simply because she said, well, why not me? And that inspires in someone else, you know, the ability for her to say, well, if she did it, why can't I do it? Then I think together we we can kind of collectively both in really, really small ways. And I, I would say a lot of, a lot of it's not, it isn't super glamorous. It's just about commitment and faithfulness and getting a little bit better. Um, but then being open to those moments and those times where it is like, maybe, maybe it is time to take a little bit bigger of a risk to be a part of kind of actively creating the future that I want to live in. You guys, Liz Bohannon from Seiko Designs. I mean, she's one of those people that I just want to sit on my couch and have some wine and talk about all the things with her. And the thing that's amazing about Liz, though I've only met her once in real life, she is the person she is that you see on Instagram, on her brand, on her website. She is that person in real life. And she is truly living her message and everything from being secure in her why behind Seiko Designs to inviting other people into a meaningful story to really practically showing women how to use their purchasing power for good and for the long term. I just am so inspired by her and I hope that you guys are as well. So if you have not checked out Seiko Designs, check their website out. It's SeikoDesigns.com. That's S-S-E-K-O, SeikoDesigns.com. Their Instagram is at SeikoDesigns. Again, that's double S-E-K-O, Designs. Follow them and check out their products. It really is full of beautiful products. And check out that caft can dress for sure. 
And y'all, again, I cannot believe that we're in season two of the Refined Collective podcast. Like, what in the world is going on with life? (laughs) Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for your feedback to every single DM that you guys send on the Refined Woman Instagram, to the reviews that you're leaving on iTunes. Me and my team, we're reading all of them. They mean so much to us. And so what I want to ask you and invite you into is if you love this podcast, if you've made it this far, you've made it 50 minutes into this interview, I think it's safe to say that you hopefully enjoyed the podcast. I would love to invite you to subscribe rate and review us on iTunes. When you subscribe, rate and review us, it helps get our name out there and it helps give us feedback to guide and direct the episodes. And it just, it means the world to us. So I just want to read a few of the recent reviews that we've gotten. One from Bethany. She says, I've been following Kat on Instagram for a while and her personality and authenticity really comes through in this podcast. So thankful for women who love Jesus and speak truth and encouragement into other women's lives. Thank you, Bethany, so much. And another one from K.M. Jameson. Cat is a breath of fresh air. This podcast is uplifting, encouraging, and practical. I have loved hearing the guest speakers and their perspectives and Cat Sparks discussions with openness and vulnerability. She says, sometimes I get bored listening to podcasts, but these podcasts have kept me coming back for more. That is so encouraging to hear. Thank you so much. So subscribe, rate, review us, leave us some love. Find us on Instagram at The Refined Woman. Find us on our website, therefinedwoman.com. We want to know how we can serve you better. So grateful for you guys.